This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Are you a multitasker? God bless some of you with the ability to do a multiplicity of things at the same time, while others of us are left with the tedious distinction of doing one simple task at a time until we complete everything on our to-do list. Well, on today's podcast, we learned that God wrote the book on multitasking, doing any number of things in one single act. We'll take time to appreciate that ability and apply these things to what God might be doing in our lives at this given moment. I want to call your attention today to Exodus chapter 13 and look specifically at verses 17 through 22. The text reads, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not let lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said, The people will change their mind and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness. And the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an solemn oath, saying, God will certainly come to your aid. Then you must take my bones with you from this place. They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day, and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. Exodus chapter 13 records for us the children of Israel's leaving of the land of the Egyptians. This was the culmination of God's promise generations earlier. God had promised Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 that this family would descend as slaves into a foreign land for 400 years. During those 400 years, God would make this family into a nation. And at the end of that time, God would emancipate them with great power and wonder. The signs of their deliverance would be so great that the world would know his power. They would become the stage upon which God would impose his will on a stubborn leader and thereby display his sovereignty over the entire world. All these promises would be fulfilled in totality. God had executed his will through the ten plagues on the stubborn Pharaoh, whose own admission was that he did not know the Lord. He had learned all too well the consequences of shaking your fist in the face of the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. God had so delivered them that after the death angels swept through the land, the, the people were practically begging the Israelites to leave, even offering them gifts as they went. Now that is a deliverance. That's how you orchestrate an exodus. But that was not the only part of God's plan to make good on his promises. Now comes the plight back to the promised land. 
God had promised to not only deliver them, but fully and completely return them to the land of promise. The route that he leads them back to that land, though, is unconventional, but not without importance. We learn that God leads them by the wilderness and not through the land of the Philistines, because the people were not ready for war. They would have changed their minds and went back to Egypt had they faced war with the Philistines. The thing is, they thought they were prepared for war, because we learn in the next verse that they left Egypt in battle formation. The lesson learned here is that God knew what they didn't. Though they thought they were prepared for anything, God knew what the Israelites did not, and he was leading them in paths they would have never considered for their own safety. Their deliverer knew the dangers that they did not. He knew the best way to lead them was through the wilderness. Now, that wilderness journey would teach them so much about God's character, about his provision, about his presence, and we'll learn about all those lessons in the days ahead. But they're all lessons that needed to be learned, and God knew the best way to teach them was in the wilderness. This is how God leads his people. We learn that he leads them in the direction that he knows that they need to go, with a cloud by day and a fire by night. The text reads that the cloud never left its place in front of the people. Even though they did not know where they were headed to in the wilderness, and it seems like it may be difficult and even odd to do it, God never left their direction to chance. He clearly led them along the path that he intended for them to trod. The only question now was would they follow him? The way may seem peculiar, but it was never in doubt. The only question was, would the, this band of emancipated slaves on the run from a serpent leader follow the cloud in front of them to the land that he had promised them? Now, as they left town, they took some very odd baggage with them. The bones of Joseph. Remember Joseph? His dying wish was to return his bones to the grave plot of his family in the land of promise the land that he had lived in as a boy. We discussed at the very end of Genesis 50, Joseph's peculiar request to be returned home when the time of the people's captivity was over. What is so remarkable about this request was that his faith assumed God's future deliverance. He had seen God do incredible things in his past, and he lived and died with the expectation of God to do extraordinary things in his family's future. His faith was vindicated by their act of obedience. God was delivering one generation and answering the prayers of another in the selfsame action. God is faithful to every age, and his plans work in conjunction from generation to generation. He may be delivering one and answering the prayers of another at the same time. Praise be to the God whose wisdom and foresight brings this phenomenon about and whose power accomplishes his perfect will in perfect timing. This whole drama had operated according to God's timeline and his power had brought it all about. Now, there's much to apply from these incidences as we consider our own redemption. 
We learn later that we too were slaves of sin until God, through the blood of the Passover lamb, had emancipated us from our slavery to sin. We have been given a promise that God will direct our steps to the eternal land of promise flowing with milk and honey. And in many ways, we are in that crowd of frightened but freed slaves leaving the land of the serpent king and his power over us. We have, with great power and deliverance, been emancipated from our slavery to sin. God, amid darkness and pestilence and resurrection power, demonstrated once and for all his might to crush the head of the serpent who would dare to bruise his heel. Remember the promise of Genesis 3 that the serpent would bruise the Messiah's heel, but he would crush its head? That crushing was done on Calvary, as the Passover lamb would die and rise again for us, redeeming us from our slavery. Now, all that's left is the ride home. Just as sure as God delivers us from bondage, he will carry us to the land of promise, a land he has prepared for us in glory with him. And as we leave the land of our toil, spoiling the enemy on the way out, God often leads us in peculiar ways. It would seem that the straightest line would be through the land of the Philistines, but God knows what we do not. He knows the paths that will be too difficult for us, too fraught with temptation. And though we may think we're ready for that promotion, or that relationship, or that next step, God knows we are prepared to fight for victory. As we, and we aren't as prepared to fight for victory as we think we are. The temptation to return to slavery of sin in those moments will be too great for us, and we will inevitably return to our bondage. Sometimes, living in freedom can be far more complex than living in bondage. But God knows the temptation for the familiar is strong on our journey. And it is a journey. After all, God doesn't just redeem us, he rescues us, carrying us home. That journey will be led by the cloud and fire. He knows the lessons that we need to learn in the wilderness seasons. And it is not that God hates us, but it is actually an act of his grace that he leads us away from the temptation to return to bondage and into the desert, where we will learn to lean on him for our next breath. In the wilderness wanderings of our life, we need to resist the urge to be frustrated with God because of this. We must instead learn to embrace the grace that led us to a place of dependence, whereby we come to know by experience how to walk by faith. We find that God can provide for us with daily manna, that he can bring water from rocks. These are the kinds of lessons learned only in the wilderness. And we need to remember this, that God draws us here to teach us of himself. This is his grace, not his punishment. And though we may not like what it feels like in the wilderness, we need to remember God's grace has kept us from the easy road because he knows the dangers and temptations that lurk there, and he knows what we do not. Despite our self-assurance, God leads us on different paths because he knows the way home. But we have to choose, as the children of Israel did, to follow him, believing that his route homeward is better than ours. The only question that remains is if we will follow that cloud into the wilderness. You don't get free and just live in Egypt. 
You have to follow the deliverer, sometimes even through the wilderness, back to your homeland. Following Jesus always implies movement on a defined path. Will we follow Jesus and move with him even if it leads us into the wilderness? Will we have the faith to believe his ways even if we do not understand them fully at this present moment? And as we think about the bones of Joseph, we learn that God is faithful in every generation. The same God that faithfully leads us will lead our children as well. And we would do well to remind them by our faith that this God can be trusted by them to deliver even though we may not get to see their deliverance. Joseph's legacy was one of true faith in a God who is faithful to his promise. May this be said of us as well that we died in faith believing that God would deliver. So Jesus, thank you for being the Passover lamb that delivers us from our bondage to sin. Thank you for knowing what we do not. Give us the faith to trust your leading into the wilderness. Help us to see it as an act of grace whereby you reveal just how trustworthy you are. Don't let us be so self-reliant that we insist on going the way of the Philistines only to succumb to the temptation to return to slavery when the battles get too complicated. Help us to follow the cloud into the wilderness with faith in a God who is faithful himself to every generation. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.